Hello, everyone, and welcome to 80 Days in Exploration podcast. Today, we are recording a very special and somewhat impromptu uh, Christmas special, a festive tradition that has been maintained for the last three, four years. I want to say four years. Is this our fourth year? Um, Doing a Christmas special? I think so. I think this is our fourth. This will be our fourth Christmas special. Yeah, and by, and then, and by far the most hastily produced. Yeah. Uh, Mark at the moment is under a, a bed recording. We didn't expect to have him. Yep. So uh, you, you just moved for joining to us about three or four weeks ago. Uh, yeah, yeah five. <laughs> so okay. uh, yeah, uh, I, I recall the last Christmas episode we recorded. Uh, I, I had my recently newly born daughters strapped to me. Uh, and was walking down a canal. Uh, so yes. life organization has actually gotten better, maybe for this one, but not not not. Arguably, better. yes, yeah. Mm. yeah. But your microphone is still in a in a truck in container in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're currently in the middle of a blizzard, which is very appropriate for. Uh, um... Yeah, it's 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 proper proper Canadian. Uh, we just did uh, we just did sledding. So yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. yeah, and I am packing up. Uh, this will be the last time you hear me in Galway. Um, I'm packing up to move to Dublin in the new year, so I'm also undergoing a chaotic life change, uh, but all for the better. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so our, our geographical circle is getting smaller and larger at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent stuff. So the aim of today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, the North Pole. A little bit of the history of the North Pole, I guess, and also its connection to the festive season. I suppose the festive season is the words I was looking for. Thank you, Joe. So I think, Joe, you've done some of the sort of heavy lifting on on that end of things. All of the reading and writing, uh, for example. (laughs) Most of the reading and writing, yes. Uh, So we might ask you to uh, kick us off and maybe myself and Mark will um, will jump in. Yeah, well, I, I was re-listening to our Lapland episode from a couple of years ago, season two, I think, um, mm-hmm. which I have to say aged quite well. I think it was it's a nice it's a nice episode. We kind of talked about the, the, uh, the importance of Lapland to Christmas traditions, but there's kind of a, a competing... Um, a competing uh, place that we we didn't really get into, which is the North Pole, which is the address most commonly given for for a Mister Claus, uh, at least when letters have been sent from North America. So let's mm-hmm. get into uh, why he he lived there um, and how he ended up in a place quite so far away from uh, his birthplace. So um, obviously, Santa's always been associated with the as far as I can tell, with the edge of things and sort of the, the, the mysterious places in the world. Uh, so the he, unknown. The unknown, exactly. <laughs> so he, he was, you know, yep. he, he was originally born in Myra, St. Nicholas was born in Myra in modern-day Turkey. He was a bishop. He was a gift-giving, child-loving saint. Um, and so he kind of became this uh, figure who would, would continue to do that job in a, in a long over a longer time period. And in Central Europe, he typically was thought to live in the forest and he would come in with a donkey or a horse out of the mysterious deep forests around this time of year to give gifts. Um, chiefly celebrated on St. Nicholas's Day in early December. And in the Middle Ages, Christmas tended to be a little bit more um, raucous, shall we say? A lot more, bring me a figgy pudding or I'll show you 
the you know I will get angry. <laughs> I'll make you feel gritted. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So a lot more drunkenness, a lot more sort of you know uh, threatening rich people who who don't give out sweets. Um, which right. you know is an angle. Um, and coming into the Victorian era, the focus shifted much more towards the family and towards children, which is Saint Nicholas's wheelhouse. So his role in in Christmas celebrations uh, really came to the fore. Um, so in the 1800s, climate conditions probably influenced Santa's choice of home moving northwards uh, over that period. So I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the um, the, the mini ice age. Yeah, I think, yeah, sure. Yes, yeah, I think we talked about it in a previous episode, yeah. Probably talked about Svalbard and maybe mm. other northern places. Well, I remember it being a thing that, like, there, there's an awful lot of paintings from the, the mini ice age where there's, like, rivers and lakes frozen over, whereby mm. it is surprising to people from that area that they, that was ever ever the case, that, like, it was a extended, probably, like, a three to five years period of, of uncommonly inclement weather. Uh, and yeah. as I say, like I think, I think the Thames froze, for example. Mm. Stuff froze that does not freeze. Well, yeah. there's there's two things here. Okay, so there is there's the particularly cold period after Krakatoa erupts in eighteen twelve, oh, okay. I think, which is is um like you a know, nuclear winter a, more so. There was a year without summer, yeah, and Frankenstein was written, and you know, lots of yeah. dark, scary things were talked about. Um, that's part of, there was also a broader, um, the mini ice age was actually probably two or 300 years leading up to the mid 1800s, where the world was a lot, it was about a degree colder than it is, has been recently, um, kind of the opposite problem than the current climate change, if you will. Mm. So as you say, frozen rivers were a thing. There was a, what do you call it? There was a, the, the winter frost fair on the frozen Thames ha- occurred any year that it did freeze thick enough. So, sorry, sorry, Joe. Uh, what was that river you just uh, just cited there? What was the name of that river? <laughs> the Thames. Uh, incorrect. Uh, really? <laughs> ten years of living in the UK has taught me it is the Thames. Irritatingly pronounced yeah. without the H, even though. I oh. Yes. All right. I, I take I take the note. Uh, but then this why do my English people? Crit- this is my Christmas why, present for me. Then, then why do English people criticise us for not pronouncing our ths? Because uh, you're filthy. <laughs> oh, it's, I mean, British English pronunciation is all over the place. It, it is. is. Well, comes to place yeah. Okay. Um, so this plays into the fact that in the 1800s, climate conditions meant that snow was the th- the done thing at Christmas time. In the depths of winter, coming up to the solstice, it was snowing in England at least. Um, right. And in the English-speaking world, so North America, New York, you know, these kind of cultural hubs. And Christmas imagery was kind of being crystallized at this time through postcards and through um, famous stories. So, importantly, Charles Dickens grew up at this time. So in okay. his first eight childhood Christmases were snowy Christmases. Uh, okay. Uh, that's on record. So his image of Christmas, and he apparently had a photographic memory, so he really would have captured all of these to build into a storytelling okay was this frost fair this frozen snowy scene and then he became one of the most successful authors of the era yeah and in the pickwick papers and importantly in in a christmas carol he writes these snowy wintry you know chilly scenes that become what christmas looks like as it's becoming more popular as to celebrate as a family holiday as a domestic holiday 
And assumedly, mm. I mean, the reason there was like one of the main characters is a rat is because there were so many rats in Victorian London. <laughs> very, very confusing that he made a rat main character. Back. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if that. I don't know if that's the the, the Charles Dickens version necessarily. Your your. John the Great but... also was clearly a, no. <laughs> a main, main actor at the time. Uh, yeah. yeah. On the the Frost Fair, apparently the last one was eighteen fourteen, and an elephant was brought onto the ice. So oh that's how God. thick the ice was. Uh, on a river that nowadays is, it's like it's how wide is the Thames? It's like five hundred um, meters, six like. It's it's pretty it's pretty bloody it's wide, but river. I think I think pretty pretty famously from kind of the time of Shakespeare, the Thames used to be an awful lot wider because London mm. Bridge was like supposedly falling down. Well, well, so falling down, but because it was a mile <laughs> wide, people built their houses on it. Um, okay. Yeah. Whereas the modern I, Thames is a lot more narrow, and I think is a more. Um, uh, engineered river mm. than previously was kind of big uh big you know brick walls basically on either side of it for for its kind of course through the city so yeah okay. 500 meters 400 thereabouts but yeah it's still it's, it's a big river big river uh so this kind of what crystallizes the white christmas in the childhood memories of many people of victorian era in the popular imagination and father christmas in a british setting is is very much always in a wintry scene um so Santa Claus and Snow are inextricably linked uh, from this point on. So that's got to be, he's got to live somewhere snowy uh, in order okay. to, you know, justify I mean, he, his he wears all that fur, exactly. Joe. I mean, exactly. of course. So you're trying yeah. to figure out where does he live? Things are pointing north. Um, yeah. Other winter traditions kind of made their way into, like apparently Christmas got big in the Victorian era in a way it hadn't been. So like even Christmas trees Prince Albert and Queen Victoria kind of popularized the Christmas tree, bringing that idea from, yeah. from Germany. From Germany, yes. Yeah, the yeah. because Prince Albert was German, I think. Yep. Yeah. He was a German Prince Albert, Albert was German, yeah, correct. Um, okay, so that's happening in the British sphere of influence. I'm sure uh, Irish children were, were picking up on some of these, um, these ideas as well in terms of their Christmas traditions. I don't know. I think some of these things with root vegetables. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, on the other side of the pond, particularly in New York, more Dutch traditions about Sinterklaas were being oh, incorporated no. into how that, Christmas that is celebrated again. in uh, in Black in, Peter. In, in no, yeah, leave that out. It's just yeah. not bring that up. Um, were being incorporated how Christmas was being celebrated in New York and as a result in the rest of North America. Like the, the first written mention of, of Santa Claus on the far side of the Atlantic seems to be in Washington Irving's book about the Knickerbockers, the sort of the, the Dutch elite. It's a kind of a satirical book about them, but he mentions that Santa Claus is a big part of how they mark Christmas. Then in 1823, another important output of the New York literary world was um, an anonymously published poem called A Visit from St. Nicholas, which told us a lot more about St. Nicholas's get-up and habits in the Victorian era. Uh, it's better known as The Night Before Christmas. Ah. Um, mm-hmm. When was that published, before, say, Joe? 1823. 1823, uh, and, okay. And then a man called Clement C. eventually claimed claimed that he was a writer and published several other poems. But initially it was a mysterious story telling the tale of a visit from St. Nick and this portly, jolly elfin character with his reindeer-drawn sleigh. And 
it is believed there were this is a more widely held idea about Santa Claus is that the, the reindeer were pulling the sleigh, but I think this is one of the first times it's written down. But I don't think he plucked it out of the out of his own imagination. Sure. Um and this is another kind of you know, where the reindeer come from? I mean Lapland. Well, Lapland, they come from Canada, they come from Northern Canada, yeah. They come from the Arctic, right? So you're yeah. again looking Looking northwards, snowy, he have a pulled by penguins. Got, got, put it that way. <laughs> exactly. A pop quiz for you guys: Can you name all the reindeer? Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen. Very good. The, wow. The, the trick is the, the trick to learning it is watching Jingle All the Way, where you can say it in your head in a Schwarzenegger uh, accent. Uh, uh, that, that's 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 the way to learn it. Donner, <laughs> and so. These are the ingredients swirling around. You know, we've got snowy, furry, reindeer-heavy industrial uh, setup for Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And we enter into a period of history in the 1840s and 1850s where a new frontier and adventure is opening up, which is the voyage into the unknown of, of polar exploration. So humans in general are looking north and saying, what is there? You know, this inaccessible wilderness um, yeah, well, you, you had this, I mean, uh, after the end of the Napoleonic Wars in, what, 1815, I think? Sure, yeah. Um, you had basically the, a British, a gigantic British Navy with nothing to conquer <laughs> and no one to fight. And they just threw, uh, you know, ships and, and uh, naval men Wave northwards or men. pretty much anywhere that Go was unexplored. Go explore something. Find, yeah. I suppose a route to Asia was a, a big... The Northwest Passage was a big thing at that at that time as well. But, yeah. but I would kind of see this as almost like the space race. You know, it's that kind of like, you know, can we put a man on the moon? Yeah. And it's as mysterious and as inaccessible. And, you know, I, I, I think that's an ex it's, it excites the public imagination. So I don't know, do you guys have any examples of these um, polar adventures to, to tell me about yeah well, i mean uh there was a lot of different expeditions around this time probably the most famous one being the john franklin erebus and terror uh expedition which was which was finding or was aiming to find the northwest passage which yeah vanished it was a crew of uh, 133 sailed uh, those two ships into the middle of the arctic basically and then disappeared without a trace and that uh, captured the public imagination so people are, for people are following that story they're looking for updates. yeah and i mean uh, there was there a lot of others went after them yeah like, no there's a lot of arctic glory i suppose that was won by people hmm. who um who kind of followed them and made it their mission uh to to sort of try and find traces of, of this expedition and, and kind of ended up making uh, a name for themselves subsequently so yeah there's mm. but there's all, all kinds of uh various different expeditions and, and america as well at this point in history was trying to make a name for its, itself as well um, a naval power and yeah. yeah trying to trying to establish itself as a naval power things like this so yeah i, I guess that all kind of gets intertwined as well somewhat mm. with the with the Christmas myth, um, but no, nobody made it to the North Pole. Nobody made it to the North Pole except for at this point. Yeah, well, it's still kind of undisputed or in dispute as to who actually made it to the North Pole first, and maybe we'll talk yeah. about that another time. Mm. But um, yeah, that's. But uh, so I, I think what we're getting here is it's an excitable, unknowable place. You're reading about it in the newspapers. You kind of seen engravings of, of these expeditions. 
Um, possibly also seeing images of heroic figures like indigenous people who were acting as guides yes, in some of these expeditions absolutely. with their very distinctive clothing. And we talked in our Lapland episode about how a lot of how modern kind of Christmas elf clothing is really derived from from um, Satmi traditional clothing with the bright yeah. colors and the pointy shoes. Um, and of course, the reindeer that those people had close affinity to is all kind of playing into this this leading up to a 19 or an 1866 issue of Harper's Weekly, which is a popular magazine, uh, where the political cartoonist Thomas Nast had gotten in the habit of drawing Christmas cartoons every year. And he's the first to spill the beans in Santa's new address. Mm. Depicting him as a, as a merry old kind of elfin character, much like in A Visit from St. Nicholas, uh, living at a place called Santa Clausville NP. Okay. Which is the North Pole. Uh, and in a poem he illustrated a few years later, he describes Santa Claus as living near the North Pole in the ice and the snow, to quote. So this is all feeding on this, you know, sense that, like, he, you know, Santa Claus, where could he live? It must be somewhere where snow is all year round, where there's reindeer, sleds are available. But it's inaccessible and no one, because no one sees him from year to year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he, he, it must be somewhere we can't get yes. to. Um and we still can't very easily. Of course. Uh, so it's clearly the best choice of Santa's yeah, workshop. For sure. So it's unclear to me if he meant the geographical North Pole or the magnetic North Pole, which does move around. is a bit trickier to track True. down. Uh, so that candy cane red and white um, pole sticking out of the snow that I drew as a child in all of my Christmas cards. Not sure if that has to be moved occasionally. Santa's um, living in a yurt, which he packs uh, annually <laughs> to to move like two miles down the road. Well, it's interesting because yeah. the the I, I had never really thought about this in like I I'm I'm you know I, I kind of find all this stuff very fascinating as you guys know, but I'd never really thought about it until I was reading uh, something earlier about this. But like the North Pole is actually a lot harder to uh, explore than the South Pole, and um, it might not immediately be obvious why, but because it's it's not a continent it's not a fixed piece of land yeah, no it's, land it's, it's 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 over it, it's on the yes. ice like it's over yeah. the, it's over an ocean so like which, shackleton um, when he was when he was exploring or like scott when when he was aiming for the south pole would have gone out and left like depots of food ahead of time mm, but if you yeah. do that the north pole it could end up somewhere completely different like the next yeah, week or a polar bear gets yeah it. exactly so um so who did eventually get there and did they meet the big man? Uh, so there was in 1908 and 1909, there was uh, there was two uh, two people, two Americans, actually, who claimed to have um, visited the North Pole. Uh, oh, here's some shade in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, they said they did it. Yeah. They, they both said that they did it. Uh, one guy, uh, Frederick Cook, Dr. Frederick Cook, uh, turned out to be have exaggerated a number of his uh, previous exploits um, okay. and was proven to to be a, li a little bit of a... Uh, stone Cold Liar. A, a, a con man, I was going to say, or a shady character. <laughs> okay, great. But you, can, you can call yeah. him a stone cold, stone cold Liar. But uh, the more famous one is, is a guy called Robert Peary who uh, seemingly mm -hmm. discovered the North Pearl Pole in 1909. Uh, and he'd been aiming at it for his entire life. And he had Inuapak guys. He did. Right? He did. Uh, yes, yeah. he did. And he he kind of 
went so against let's the grain. Not, let's not leave in, them. In, let's not leave them out of it. Yeah, uh, he went against the grain in in that sense because a lot of polar explorers at this time kind of eschewed the uh, the sort of local knowledge uh, of knowledge of the landscape. of ice travel and this kind of thing. They were graying like a chest of drawers filled with tin mutton and things like that. Yeah, I mean Robert Falcon Scott and his kind of doomed expedition <laughs> to the South Pole uh, a few years later was was one of the key examples of that. Where he tried to bring, I think, Siberian ponies to pull his sleds as opposed to dogs, and that mm. did not work out mm. for him very well. Um, but yeah, Peary uh, claimed to have reached the pole. He did. I mean, he did go on a polar expedition, and he did get very, very close. But how do you know if you've actually done? Well, it? the thing—that's the thing. I mean, there's no, there's no um, GPS. Actual pole. There's no candy cane sticking out of the pole. ground, you know. Yeah. And there, at least as far as his notes go, there was no Santa Claus there. Um, right. So yeah, his. So he clearly is alive. Yeah. Well, his. He, yeah, they didn't get there. Or... Exactly. Elves are very good at packing up and being difficult to find as well, though. So I don't yeah. know. I'm not sure even if you found the right place, you, you would necessarily. Uh... Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the way that the only way that you um, can actually, or at least the only way that you could at the time, kind of really determine that you were at the pole is that the sun would would uh move around you in almost a perfect circle and you would use oh, a sextant okay. to measure uh the height of the sun and it will it would right. not dip in the sky it would just move around uh at the same right. level for so the, usually they would spend a couple of days at a certain point uh believing it to be the pole oh. and then and that of course meant they had to go in summer which yeah. would be the worst time to find exactly yeah. You would, you would usually have to go, yeah, early early spring, I guess, and try yeah. to try to leave because the, I believe the polar pack breaks up uh, in that, that in is, early uh, summer, so you'd have to get it. That is hitting the, the Mediterranean club scene during the yeah. summer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh and Myra's, out of head. Myra's a really nice spot these yeah. days. <laughs> Visiting home, but yeah, to answer your question, Joe, it's still disputed today who actually kind of discovered the North okay. Pole. Did, did, did Roald Amundsen? Yeah, so Amundsen is actually the first person to uh, scientifically uh, conduct a verified expedition to the North Pole, and he did it on an airship, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. which just <laughs> increases his reputation. How steampunk. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, I, I think I'm correct in saying that, like, if you, if you look at, you know, if you look at purely the verified data, um, as I said, in this case, if you discount Peary and the other guy, uh, Cook, mm. then Amundsen was the first man to cross the North Pole. He was also the, obviously the guy that discovered the South Pole. And I think he was the first person to do the Northwest Passage as well. So, I mean, he's wow. a monumental though, figure yeah. in polar history. That, 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 that's why he's uh, is he one of the higher the tiers on the... He is. He is indeed. <laughs> well, yeah. Exactly. That's it. He put a top and a bottom on the world. That's pretty exactly. good. Exactly. And when, when did he hit the North Pole? Then? That was in 1926. That is surprisingly recently. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not even a hundred years ago. And so even to this day, it's not a widely visited spot because it's just... Yep. And the first verified expedition on foot, I think, was a group of Soviet uh, scientists in 1948. Uh, wow. So, yeah, very, very late. Um, so I was, I was, I was going to say, like, na nowadays, it's maybe arguably easier to get there because there's less ice and there's mm. kind of... Um, Ice breaking ships, which specialize in calving through relatively thin ice, yep. um, and like not not to be depressing about it, but like the Arctic is now more more and more relevant as a sort of a 
uh, political, yeah. football is the wrong word, but kind of theater. Um, and like, it, there's a weird, in the way that if you kind of look at Antarctica and you see kind of the jurisdiction sliced up, you're yep. like, oh, LA's got monkey. It's like, it's kind of surprising in some respects that um, uh, like the Arctic, you think about the countries that, that kind of uh, have a significant presence and you have both uh, US and Russia and historically, and Canada, you know, it, it was, you know, it was, it was relevant, but not super relevant because, you know, it was too cold and you couldn't really do much there. But as, as, as the ice is thinned and exploration for, you know, gas, oil, natural resources has grown. Um, it, it is, it's like to the point, remember Russia put a flag at the North pole under the ice, yeah. which is, you know, a very, a very silly thing to do, but also a very Russian thing to do in some respects. So like, well, we've got the flag. Like, we don't care about the flag, but we got it. <laughs> like, um, so, yeah. and, and and nothing says really uh, missing the point. Like, um, oh, brilliant! Uh, the ice has melted. That means there's more accessible oil and gas fields. Yeah. <laughs> um, help, helpfully, kind of uh, historically low uh, oil and gas prices have made it uneconomical to do lots and lots of exploration up there. Oh, good. But it's also kind of a, an interesting dynamic in you know. Greenland, for example, which has been kind of looking for ever more independence from Denmark. And while Denmark is kind of generally like, okay, we probably should have more independence, but we still really want to keep some relationship there because the Arctic's so important and they can yeah. see how it's, it's only becoming more important. So, you know, that plus, you know, the Swedes and the Finns and the Norwegians looking more at NATO. It's, yeah, it's, it's getting... It's hotting up. Anyway, so we should probably uh, let people know how season six is going. Uh, yeah. Which is uh, to say slowly. Slowly, but uh, yeah. surely. Surely. Uh, just like yeah. the shrinking of the Arctic. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's progressing slowly, but surely. So we, we hope to have some uh, some episodes of season six with you um, early in 2023. But for now, uh, it would behoove me to break with Christmas mini-sode tradition and not to have a quick quiz with you guys. So so I pulled a few questions from our previous um, our previous Christmas episodes. So Mark, what was the name of the main uh, Sami city that we talked about in our Lapland episode? Can you recall? At the risk of being insensitive to the rich culture of the Sami, I'm going to guess Santaville. On the basis of oh no oh no no <laughs> no, no. Okay. it's Rovaniemi what correct no I knew that I knew that crap okay <laughs> dang it all right um, Joe what is distinctive about Rovaniemi from the air it looks like um, antlers it looks a, the, a bit the, like the, a reindeer the street, the antlers, street plan looks like uh, yeah like yeah reindeer. like reindeer antlers okay uh, Mark. Last year, we talked about our odd Christmas traditions from around the world. Yes. What did Joe talk about? And for a bonus point, where was the location? Um, I think I Joe's one was that. in Switzerland. And it was about some, like, you know, uh, not Black Peter, but like some slightly problematic Christmas-themed mystical figure coming out of, like, maybe a forest again. Or was it? A, there was a balcony. He was on a balcony. Oh, I know what it was now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was some some I'll take that. pagan stuff. I'll take I'll take that for one point. Okay. Was it Switzerland, Joe? Yeah, it was. Fr it was Freiburg. Um, right. In 
Yes, they, St. Nicholas is their patron saint, so they have a big party with where he comes to visit in early December sometime. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Joe, same question to you. What did I talk about last year? Um, Christmas trees in Canada, Nova Scotia. Something about Christmas trees in Nova Scotia. That I is think. completely incorrect. Can, can, I, can I sneak the point? If you like. Um, I recall it was about this place. It might have actually been Norway from memory, but uh, where they uh, oh, erected yeah. the Christmas tree and the competition was to like, try to like burn it down or smash it up or yeah, generally bust up Christmas. It was, it yeah. was the Christmas goat. Ghost, the Eulabok. Yes, the Eulabok that was burned down in uh, Gavla, I think, in Sweden. Yeah, that's it. Yes. <laughs> Which I ha- actually haven't checked on for this year. I'm not really sure how it's doing this year. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do it right now in real time. Okay. Magic of editing. Hold on. Yes, I'm looking at the the live stream of the Goblet Coat right now, and it appears to be intact. Hey, so, Christmas is saved. Excellent. Someone get the goat. Um, okay, last question. Uh, Mark, we talked about in a previous episode the uh, invasion of Hong Kong on Christmas Day. Oh, what one of our cheeriest uh, yeah. episodes? Don't, don't track that one. What, what else also happened on that day? We talked about another quite famous episode oh, in on, world on, history that happened on the exact same day. On the same day as the invasion of Hong Kong, but elsewhere. But elsewhere. Invasion of Hong Kong. Uh, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. It was Joe. Do you want? Do you do you know? I've got nothing. I mean, my my grandmother had a Christmas dinner. Like uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was Pearl Harbor. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. What a great day for you know <laughs> cities. Yeah, I can follow it up. Last one to you, Joe. Uh, I haven't in any way kept track of the score. Uh, <laughs> the Apollo mission that we talked about two years ago. Yeah. I want to say. What number Apollo mission was that? The so vaguely it wasn't Christmas thirteen because that was a movie. Yeah, um, correct. It was Tom Hanks was on that. I f- I feel like eleven. What? Eleven? Oh, eleven? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Uh, That's Neil Armstrong. Apollo eleven is, is Neil Armstrong. Oh 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, that's why that that's why that one was in my head. Eight. Apollo <laughs> eight. Oh, good guess. It was in fact number eight. Correct. Nice. Okay, uh, I'm going to call that a draw. All right. I think that's, that's, okay, that might that might close. be inaccurate, but uh, I, I'm happy with that. All right. Well, if the listeners want to correct me, go can't. for it. Uh, apparently, we'll just yeah. defer to the yeah the good vibe. Yeah. And yeah, before before we wrap up, I suppose also want to mention that uh, our merch is still for sale uh, over on T Public. So if you're really really late at ordering your christmas gifts mm-hmm. uh then you know you for that be... special 80 days explorer in your life exactly yeah. uh, or maybe just get one for yourself you know uh that we've got t-shirts and tote bags and all kinds of stuff over mm. there and we'll leave a link link to that in the description the gift you give yourself 80 days mm. merge uh so yeah i think all that is left for us to do is to say thank you very much for listening Mm -hmm. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and you can get in touch with us on facebook instagram or twitter you can also email us at 80 dayspodcast at gmail.com we would like to say a very merry christmas to our patreon backers in particular the heroes. Uh, yeah the heroes that uh 
are our reindeers uh, in, our, in a very real sense way. of the word, yeah. pulling us along, uh, <laughs> making sure and, we get the job uh, done. Um, yeah. So we're, we're sorry it's taking longer than they usually this last indeed, couple of years. Indeed, we are. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, from uh, from us, uh, yeah, have a have a wonderful festive season and a very merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah.